Channel. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Our show is growing in popularity and has been and is growing um, as the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And that's true only because an increasing number of you are listening and because you are telling your friends. So I hope you'll continue to do that as long as you find this show of value to you. We also want to thank our sponsors, of course, for making this show financially viable. For the first hour of uh, this week's show, we have Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Inc., and we're going to have the uh, president of Merrick's with us uh, a little later, Palangio Exploration, Tara Minerals, PMI Resources, Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures Corp. Only three of the companies named above uh, uh, have the name gold in them, but all of the companies above are gold exploration or gold mining companies. We have uh, seven sponsors for the second hour, and all but one of those, the uranium energy, are gold producers or gold exploration companies. Why do we have so many gold sponsors on this show? Well, the reason is because I think we are in in the gold mining bull market of a lifetime right now, and because of that, those are the kinds of companies I want to come on and be a sponsor. I want companies that are going to work and make money for people. That's the idea. 
Every week for my paid subscribers, I publish a newsletter. And in this past week's uh, weekly verbal, uh, brief three-minute verbal commentary, I told uh, my listener, my subscribers, exactly why I think that gold is in such a bull market. Essentially, uh, the reason I'm so bullish on gold and gold mining shares is that the real price of gold is rising. You know, people get caught up really in what is the nominal price of gold? What is an ounce of gold going to go for, Jay, in three or four years from now, I'm frequently asked. And I'm saying I don't think that matters very much. What really matters is what will an ounce of gold buy because the dollar can be created in infinite amounts. And we're seeing Obama and Bernanke and the likes of those gentlemen pumping huge amounts of money into the economy, and we're seeing um, the value of the currency essentially decline versus real money gold. So we've seen a, an enormous increase in the real purchasing power of gold, and I like to measure it against the Rogers Raw Material Fund. We've seen gold rise from about uh, when an ounce of gold would have bought 15% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund the last I looked at the end of last week was about 42 or 43 percent of the Rogers Raw Material Fund. So we've almost had a tripling of purchasing power in gold. Now, if you look at gold in nominal terms, it doesn't—it hasn't tripled, but in terms of what it will buy, it has grown very, very significantly. And that is very important to gold mining companies because it means that uh, profit margins are rising because the cost of oil, the cost of copper materials and other uh, and labor too has gone down relative to the price of gold. Aristotle understood a long time ago and explained many centuries ago why gold is money. He said uh, it's durable, that's why we don't use wheat. It's divisible, that's why we don't use diamonds. It's convenient, that's why we don't use lead. It's consistent, that's why we don't use real estate and it has intrinsic value. That's why we don't, or at least we shouldn't, use paper. So markets are, are wiser and more honest than human beings. So the collective wisdom of markets is once again, as it has throughout the centuries, demanded that we use gold as money. And as paper money is in the process of self-destructing uh, because the debt that, it was, that, that was used to create it uh, cannot be repaid, I think uh, we are still in the early stages of this move towards gold. Now, um, I have Chen Lin with me, and he's going to talk a little bit about gold and, and some of the things that are going on in China. But let me just point out some of the other things that are going on in today's show. Uh, coming up in the next segment, I'm going to have Gregory Isenor. He's the president of Merrick's Gold, and as I said, a sponsor of this show and a company that's exploring for gold in Mali, West Africa, a company, by the way, that I think has a, a potential to become a multi-million ounce deposit, uh, developing one in Mali. Gregory will explain why. It is a, a selection in my newsletter. I have recommended Merrick's in my newsletter. Uh, we're going to also uh, we're going to be talking to Roger Conway a little later on. Uh, Roger Conway was with us last week, but he's going to talk more about income-producing uh, stocks that you can buy, and I think that's a great idea for people who are approaching retirement. How do you make ends meet? How do you raise capital or how do you raise uh, income when uh, the treasuries are paying virtually nothing? Uh, we're also going to have Mike Hoffman of Crocodile Gold with us at about a quarter of four Eastern time. Uh, he will give us an update on that company's gold production and development uh, uh, in Australia. And we're going to have Roger uh, Wiegand and Arch Crawford join us during the second uh, part of uh, second hour of this show today. Uh, Arch will be talking about the markets and uh, how the planetary alignments and other technical factors, uh, what that, uh, is, how, how that's influencing his outlook on the, uh, on the equity markets and other things. Roger Wiegand will be here to comment 
as a technical analyst on that score as well. And then finally, at the end of the show, I'm going to have Mark Weaver. He's a partner of mine on Jay's watch list. Uh, Mark will be joining me uh, to talk about a couple of companies on my watch list that he thinks looks very, very promising. So before we go to the break and before we have um, Gregory Isenor on with us, uh, I want to welcome Chen Lin. Welcome, Chen. Thanks, Jay. Uh, Chen, you had some very interesting things that you told me uh, over the last few days in China especially. Um, The Chinese people are very, very bullish on gold. You're very bullish on gold. In fact, I think you just recommended, uh, made a recommendation to your subscribers of one of our uh, one of our sponsors. I'm going to be talking to them in just a few minutes. Crocodile. Why did you uh, decide you like Crocodile Gold? Oh yeah, the stock has been cut in half in the past few months, uh, mainly because two things. One is there are some startup issues with their mill, and second is the Australia 40% tax. Uh, on the second issue, what I heard was Australia, actually, there's a strong opposition to the 40% tax by the current government. The government yeah. may fail. I mean, the, the prime minister may be forced to resign. So they, they may be like about the oil you know, tax again, so royalty again, so they may have to pull it back, so they may not pass. And then the stock has come, came down so much, so I think it uh, looks like a good entry point. Okay, great. Well, we're going to be talking to them, uh, to, to uh uh, to Mike Hoffman in a few minutes. Um, you had some very interesting insights on China. Talk a little bit about your belief and why you think that China could be in the process of exporting inflation to the world. Could you just explain the dynamics of that for a moment? Yes. Uh, right now, basically, China is uh, 35 years and younger, a single child. Okay, They just basically cannot work as hard as their older generation. They're the only child in the family. They, they, they just not used to work like in assembly line like a robot. So what happened this year was very significant was in Foxconn, the largest uh, contracting manufacturer in the world. Right? They, they make iPod, iPad, you know, iPhone, or Apple. That's one of their products. And they, p- people over there, they have very strong military rules. You know, they, they, they subs- there's no union, nobody's uh, to complain if you're depressed. So people, what did they do? They just commit suicide. Oh, so they're fe- they feel hopeless. They're hopeless, exactly. They, in six months, of this first six months, there are 13 people committed suicide. So that, that, that was like the headlines everywhere. I, I'm sure some people already heard it in the United States, but the headline in China. Uh, because you, it basically just tell what kind of working condition they have and then what people's you know, situation. Because if it's not really hopeless, they wouldn't just, just kill themselves. That's the young people in their 20s, mm. 30s, they commit That's suicide. That's horrible. So... So what happened was Foxconn came say, well, do all the investigation. They under strong pressure from Apple. Of course, even Steve Jobs mentioned in, his, in the Apple conference. So they have to, they want to fix that. So they say, okay, we're going to give you a raise. Okay, how about a hundred percent raise? Wow. Uh, for for all the for all the workers. Okay, so make sure everybody happy. So they went not when they had to give a hundred percent raise. And then this is the largest manufacturer. You know, in, in China, uh, subcontractors, they employ almost a million workers. So all the other workers look at that, so we want that too. So there was a strike against Honda. There's a strike I heard last weekend against Flextron. That's a very large manufacturer. They're, uh, you know, all, all over. So, okay, Chen, uh, so what you're suggesting then is there's enormous pressure. Is the government applying pressure to these companies and American purchasers like, like uh, you know, like you just mentioned, Steve Jobs and the like, that, that they're putting pressure on these companies to raise wages? Is that it? But it's not. It's, it's it really from bottom up. The government actually is really pro 
the you know the, the company. So I see. Okay. All right. So, but but at the same time, will the government though will be accommodating in terms of monetary policy, pumping money into the system so these wages can be paid? Well, I would think so. They would have to pump more money, and also the money will come up to the you know to to the to Apple for example. Apple reported pay twenty you know, percent more you know for their work. Some so that means ultimately we're going to pay more for our, our iPhones over here. Do you see that? Right now, it's Apple basically absorb. Apple has sixty percent profit margin, so they can absorb that easily. But yeah. there's other lower margin business. I don't think they can be absorbed. So okay, so are, are you saying then that China could be exporting inflation to the rest of the world? Is that a concern you have? I think it will be. It's basically coming to a turning point that uh, the low wage wage is not sustainable, and the wage is going to go up substantially. I heard Honda they gave, they gave a big raise to matching mm-hmm. some part of. Uh, what the Foxconn did. So they're all the other com- company are forced to give a big raise as well. Okay, Chen. Well, thank you very much. We're really basically out of time here for this segment. I thank you for your insights. I know that you take a more inflationary view and I take a more deflationary view of the world, but I, I hear what you're saying and it sounds to me like uh, you might be onto something on your side of the argument here. So I want to thank you, Chen, for that. Uh, we've, we've enjoyed cheap Chinese labor, cheap products for a long time. Obviously, there's limits to that. So I thank you for that insight, Chen. Folks, don't go away. We're going to go to the break right now, and we're going to come right back uh, with uh, Merrick's Gold. Gregory Eisener is the president of that company. He's going to explain to us what's going on in, uh, with his company's activities in, uh, in West Africa. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Eisenhower. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. 
I believe Magellan Minerals traded Toronto under the symbol MNM is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I have with me Gregory Eisenor. He's the president of Merrick's Gold, uh, Inc. Merrick's Gold trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol MXI. 89.4 million shares outstanding. Recent price in U.S. money, about 55 cents. It gives it a market cap of a little bit under $50 million. And I do have a trading symbol for those of you who buy it in the United States, these Canadian stocks, as I honestly do most of the time in my IRA. The trading symbol for Merrick's Gold is MXGIF. That's in the U.S., MXGIF. Welcome, Gregory, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks again. Really great to have you. Um, I should mention that on April 2nd, I did recommend Merrick's Gold uh, in my newsletter to my subscribers at 59 cents. And at that time, in summarizing my recommendation, I said, Add, and I quote myself, I said, at its price, we think this stock represents great upside potential for speculative investors given the massive exploration potential for expanding a relatively high-grade, open-pitable deposit. End of quote. So let me ask you, Gregory, I recommended the stock... Um, uh, some time ago, as I just said, on April 2nd. It's down about $0.04 cents or 7%, so it hasn't been a blockbuster recommendation yet. Have I made a mistake? Not at all, Jay, not at all. Matter of fact, your recommendation was right on. Um, our uh, our resource in, in the, on the, our structure is, uh, you know, it's it's over 3 grams, uh, you know, 300,000 ounces of 3 grams, open to the north, to the south, and that depth. Mm-hmm. And we've got that resource is over a kilometer. Uh, infield drilling would bring that resource up to about half a million ounces of, of three grams. But uh, there's a 10-kilometer structure. Uh, that 10-kilometer structure has a mag signature, uh, uh, a geochem signature, and has been indicated from reconnaissance diamond drilling to, to be continuous. So what we're doing now is... Uh, 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 RC program, uh, fences of RC uh, holes 100 meters deep across the structure for uh, three kilometers along strike to just see how big this thing is. Uh, what we've done, we've proven it has legs. We've uh, proven that it has continuity, has the grade. Uh, we've taken the resource from inferred to uh, indicate it. So we're pleased. So we're just about now to get out some RC results showing just how big this, uh, this resource is going to be. 
Okay, so for those that might not be that familiar with gold mining, RC means reverse circulation, or I believe, right? Yes, yes. And absolutely. can you just briefly, very briefly, please uh, explain the difference between RC and, and diamond drilling for those that aren't familiar? Well, diamond drilling brings up a core that, that you can split and, and assay. Uh, reverse circulation brings up a powder, if you like, or chips, mm -hmm. uncontaminated. Uh, the, uh, the, the samples, we sample every meter in our holes, and we're doing 15,000 meters of RC drilling. Basically, a hammer drill that brings up chips. Okay, and, you do, and it's less expensive generally than diamond drilling, is it not? It's less expensive, it's faster, and uh, you can use RC reverse circulation uh, drill results in a 43101 resource estimate. And, uh, you know, you, you, you normally twin an RC hole with a core to uh, guarantee its uh, validity. But um, we're, you know, this RC program, we're halfway through it. Uh, we have assays are coming in as we speak, and we're, we'll soon be releasing them. And as I say, the intent of this RC program is to just show how big this resource is now that we've proven that it's got a good grade and is continuous. Okay, so you have a 10-kilometer long uh, structure that you've, uh, that you've mapped out using these, uh, these surface technologies, geochem and, and mag anomalies, right? Yes, and uh, the mag is airborne and, uh, and the geochem. The geochem has both been uh, soil sampling and termite mound sampling. And um, it shows continuity. And, uh, you know, three kilometers away from a resource, we see, we see the same mineralization. So we're just about there. We're just about there to show how big this thing is. Okay, well, let me, let, let's try to help the listeners get a handle on what the size of this could be. Because to me, in my way of thinking, exploration companies, the reason you buy them is because you think there's some reasonably good chance that you're going to develop a very sizable resource. You don't have any cash flow now. You don't have any production and you're going to probably have to go back to the market and raise some more capital. So if you're proving that you have a substantial deposit there, it's easy to go back and raise capital, and you don't dilute your shareholders to, to kingdom come. But let me just get a sense here now. If you have, you say, 300,000 ounces, and I think you said you can probably move that up to a half a million with some infill drilling. Was that it? We can, the the 300,000 ounces, we can move up to probably half a million within that resource block. And is that a three-kilometer long block, or is that a, a smaller block than that? Uh, pardon me? The, uh, the half a million ounces would come from three kilometers of strike length or a shorter length than that? No, that, that would come from the original resource over one kilometer. One kilometer, okay. Ten kilometers that we're testing. Okay, so in other words, you could, if things work out here, and we will know probably fairly soon because you said you have some assays coming in, we could be looking at a half a million ounces with one-tenth of the known structure drilled so far. Exactly, on one structure. I just point out, you mentioned dollars. We have a uh, a um, an option agreement with IM Gold. IM Gold is spending ten million to earn fifty percent of this project. They spent five million to date, approximately, and they'll spend another five million, and then it's a they earn fifty percent. And wow. we're at, at that point, it's a JV. Uh -huh. uh, it's uh, we both contribute. And that point will probably probably be mid next year when when uh, they earn their fifty percent. At that time, um, you know how many how much of a resource will we have with with all that drilling? Who knows? Uh, from all indications, it will be much bigger. But back to your point, yes, uh, on the known structure, we've tested a, a tenth of it. We see approximately half a million ounces there, and um, we see no reason uh, no reasons uh, that the rest of the structure won't perform. 
Now, let me ask you, I think you said you're going to 100 meters in depth. Is that how deep you've gone so far, and is it open at depth, too, you said? Okay. The resource we have to date is up to uh, approximately 200 meters vertical depth. Okay. Uh, the And it's open at depth. Uh, and if you compare it to nearby Lulu and Sadiola mines, these mines uh, all started as open pits, and they found that you have higher-grade sulfide uh, uh, or at depth. Um, the 100-meter program is simply as a test to find out where this resource goes. And okay. uh, once we identify that with the RC 100-meter holes, we're going to do deeper diamond drilling. Okay. Do you think you could you could mine open pit down to 200 meters? Uh, possible. Possibly. Uh, I, I okay, you don't know it, that yeah. yet, but that's a possibility. Now, I might just point out to listeners that are not that familiar with the gold mining industry that three grams per ton is, generally speaking, a very high grade for open pit mining, isn't it? Yes. You'll see most resources quoted by uh, many companies out there exploring. Uh, you'll find them quoting resources of a gram and a half, uh, less than a gram and a half. Right. Um, that's low, in my opinion. And ours is uh, ours is two and a half to three grams, depending on you know how, how far you want to cut it. But uh, the head grade of most of the mines in our area is around two and a half to three grams, and that's where we are. I think that's why I am gold likes us. Well, I would also point out then that uh, again, uh, reiterating what you just said, that I am gold is spending another five million dollars. I think you said so. That will take you through the middle of next year. So, what I think is really uh, promising, in my view, and what I have to look forward to here as one who's recommended this stock, is that you could have your resource grow substantially from where it is now. You would expect that it would. I would expect it will, most likely. Uh, without you having to dilute your shareholders' interest, without you having to go back to the market and raise more capital, right? Absolutely. We've got about $2 million in, in the Treasury right now. Very, very little burn rate. All our expiration costs are covered by IM Gold at this point. So you're right. At the time that they earn their 50% uh, uh, and uh, it's a 50-50 JV, then we'll have uh, quite a resource uh, identified. And uh, at that time, um, you know, the companies are out there looking at acquisitions. So I think we're in really good shape. So these mines in this area sometimes, if they extend a considerable depth and they get and they get richer at depth with the sulfides, they could become, um, I would think, possibly an underground mining situation too, longer term. Yes, that is, in fact, that is your I am gold and Rand gold are looking at that at their mines in the area. Uh huh. Um, yep. You, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, the uh, the uh, Sadiola mine owned by I am Gold and Anglo. Uh, they're exploring and identifying uh, underground, uh, higher-grade uh, uh, situation, and Rangold's doing the same thing uh, at the Lulu mine, and both of these mines are, are on the same structure we're on and uh, to the north of us. We only have about a minute left. Could you give me some sense of the, uh, of the political risk in Mali? I'm sure that's something that a lot of people are, are wondering about. Jay, Mali is a great country. It's democratic. Uh, there's no people starving on the streets. Uh, they, they have a, a good democratic government. It's stable. Uh, the Chinese are coming into Mali. They're, they're building bridges and hotels. Um, you know, we have uh, lots of NGOs. It's, it's a great place to be. It's a, Mali's a third largest gold producer in uh, Africa. And uh, we're, we have a strategic alliance with Tuba Mining over there, a local company, well-respected, mm-hmm. well-connected. That's why we're able to get along so well over there.
Well, I think it's very important for, uh, and the smaller mining companies generally are much better at this, at getting along well with the locals and working with the locals and developing goodwill with the locals. If you don't do that, you can run into big trouble. I was down in Dominican Republic a few weeks ago and saw the big mine down there, and there's signs everywhere, Barrick, go home, because Barrick hasn't paid a lot of attention, apparently, to, to the local needs, or at least that's the feeling of people. So I commend you for doing that. I think that's really, really good that you're uh, paying attention to the needs of the local people. Well, um, that's about all the time we have now, Gregory. I wish we had more because I know there's more. You guys do have another project or two. If you could just briefly, very briefly, talk about you. You have one, I think, in eastern Canada somewhere, don't you? We have the Jubilee uh, Zinc Project in eastern Canada that uh, we own 50% of. The other 50% is owned by our sister company, Frontline Gold. Okay, and you're not spending on that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'll just mention Frontline has... uh, uh, another a gold project in Mali, New Alinea, okay. uh, just finished a RAV drilling program, and those results will be coming up. Frontline is a spin-out company from Merrick's. Okay, very good. Uh, you know, we, we have to go now, uh, unfortunately. Greg, can you just give a, your website so people can follow your company's progress? Yes, www.merrick'sgold.com. Thank you very much, yep. uh, Gregory, for being with us. We're going to be right back, folks. I've got Mike Hoffman of Crocodile Gold coming on after the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. 
Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm delighted to have Mike Hoffman with me. He's the president of Crocodile Gold. Mike's been with us before. He's going to give us an update. I should tell you, uh, those of you who may not be familiar with the company, uh, it trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol CRK. Selling at about a dollar twenty or so in that range, uh, 184 million shares outstanding. The company will be uh, doing another. Uh, will be selling a few more shares so that there'll be slightly over 200 million shares. I think the closing is tomorrow, and uh, so it, it gives the company currently a market cap of around oh, 250 million dollars or so. Uh, but they do have five million ounces of gold out uh, that, uh, in the resource uh, categories. 
And one of the things that's really excited me about this company, and one of the reasons that I have selected it as a, a buy for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, is because it seems to me to have enormous upside exploration potential. In fact, I've sort of compared it to another company that's done extremely well uh, for me, and that's Allied um, Nevada, which is a company that we picked up at a few dollars, and it was over 21 or $22. I think that kind of upside potential is possible, and that's why I've picked this stock. But anyway, uh, rather than me tell you why I like this company, let's, uh, let's hear it right from the horse's mouth. Mike Hoffman, the president of Crocodile. Welcome, Mike. Thanks very much, Jay. Thanks for having me again. Well, it's really great having you, and now I get to talk to you from this continent and not uh, down under, which is good. You're closer, so maybe we won't have an, an ill-fated connection again as we've had in the past. <laughs> no, for sure. Let's hope. Um, I should tell our, our listeners that, as I just did, well, Crocodile is a recommendation, but Chen Lin just uh, suggested, it, um, not suggested, he actually recommended your stock uh, to his subscribers yesterday. And Chen is uh, you know, a much better trader than me. He waited until the stock went down a lot, and then he bought it, so... I want to update our, our listeners. A lot of people, we, we have a growing number of, of listeners, um, probably, well, probably 50% more than, than the first time you came on our show because our show is growing in popularity so, uh, so rapidly. But I'd like to ask you for the benefit of those that may not have heard you before, just give our listeners a sense of how much gold you expect to produce in Australia this year and then next year, and then maybe explain how you, ex- how you expect to get there. Okay, uh, thanks, Jay. Yeah, uh, the one nice thing about this is um, we do have a lot of infrastructure on site. We're in the Northern Territory of Australia, so that's sort of the middle top of Australia. Uh, we have two processing facilities, one that's 2.4 million tons a year at Union Reef and one that's 240,000 tons a year at Tom's Gully. And right now we're mining from the Howley and North Point open pit mines. Uh, so they're both, uh, you know, mined via open pit. Brock's Creek is a higher-grade underground mine. So all those um, mines are be- feeding directly to the Union Reef Mill, the larger 2.4 million ton a year mill. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom's Gully will start later this year. We're developing underground there right now, and it has its own dedicated mill. And one exciting thing for us is we just started the Cosmo Portal, which to us will be a source of about 100,000 ounces a year from mid-2011 on. So we just broke ground on the, on the underground portal, and over the next year we'll be developing that. And this year we'll produce about 100,000 ounces of gold, and next year we'll increase that to 200,000 ounces. So the real key for us is this year it's, it's coming from Brock's, North Point, Tom's, and uh, Howley. Next year we'd be feeding from Howley, half a year from the new Cosmo Underground, as I just mentioned, mm-hmm. and, and Tom's Gully will, will be in full production too. We may have you know a few small deposits to top that up, but um, really this year is to get everything under control, um, get aggressive on the expiration, and set ourselves up for next year when we have that major expansion in production. Uh, that's certainly... Uh, so you expect to go into production uh, from the Cosmo about mid-year next year? Yeah, mid-year next year, we'll probably have some development ore coming through, hopefully by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And what sort of grades are we expecting there, Mike, from the Cosmo? Well, what's very interesting is the average grade for this year will be about 2 grams, but Cosmo will be uh, over 5 grams a ton. So it, mm. it's pretty significant, and it significantly lower operating costs. So it, it helps to do two things, both to increase our overall gold production, but also to help lower our operating cost. 
Okay, speaking of operating costs, could you get a, give our listeners a sense of what you expect your cost of producing an ounce of gold this year and then next year? Yeah, this year we should be uh, about U.S. $700 an ounce. Uh, part of that is making an assumption that the exchange rate with Australian to U.S. is 1.125 to 1. Right now it's about 1.18, so it's actually working in our favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, next year we'd be assuming probably the low 600s, high 500s. Uh, overall, and mainly, most of that is higher grade, more ounces. Do you do any uh, currency hedging, and do you do any gold uh, gold hedging at all? Absolutely no gold hedging at all. Um, is that a, is that a company um, uh, mandate? Basically, a mandate from the board that uh-huh. we won't hedge uh, any gold. Uh, we have put. Um, we are allowed to do a little bit, as far as from the board, a little bit of hedging on currencies. Um, we right now we've probably got uh, I think it's uh, oh it's 15 million in uh, Australian to U.S. Uh, currency hedges, and uh, you know we most of the time we're selling our gold in Australian dollar terms because we're spending most of our money on Australian dollar terms. So what you know when you look at the gold price, you know it's gone up over the last month to you know sort of 12, 20, 12, 30. But in Australian dollar terms, it went from about 1,200 Australian to about 1430 today. So we're actually seeing, we saw, you know, the gold price go up and the Australian dollar weaken at the same time, which is good for us. So you expect your cost per ounce to go down next year? Absolutely. And, and with, with most the, of that uh, higher grades of you've got Cosmo. many more ounces to spread over, you know, things like your general and administrative cost, plus, you know, you're mining some Cosmo, which will be quite a bit lower operating cost. Okay, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's good news. Now, as I said, one of the things that really excited me about your company was the exploration potential. Could you just talk about that briefly? Well, well the big thing is uh, we've got 2,500 square kilometers of uh, land in the Northern Territory, and, and to put that in perspective, if we take people on a tour, it takes two days to cover, cover the land that we have. So we've got uh, a lot of historical uh, exploration information, you know, going back to the 1980s. And, and the exploration we're doing, I wouldn't call it grassroots by any stretch of the imagination. We're basically taking, uh, you know, historical results and we're basically drilling deeper or we're drilling further along strike and increasing the drill density. And, we're, and so far we've been having very good success. We have yet to sort of close off an ore body. Uh, for the most part, they're all open to depth, uh, in some cases open on strike. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. And we plan to aggressively drill this year and next year. Okay. And you've uh, reached a milestone a little earlier in this year, commercial production. And if you could just explain what that means for our listeners. Yeah, essentially, before you go into commercial production, most companies would be spending um, capital dollars as they ready the mine for commercial production. So any income they generate or revenue they generate uh, would be offset against the capital they're spending. When you declare commercial production, essentially anything we're, anything we're spending that's helping to produce gold, um, that's when it starts to count as like a, our operating cost per ounce. I so we, we were uh, quite fortunate. We, start, we declared commercial production as of June 1st. So this month will be the first month in commercial production. So uh, we're quite excited by that. And, uh, you know, we, we know uh, there's a number of improvements we we're continuing to make, and we're looking forward to continue to build up that uh, production levels. Mike, I can't let you go without asking you about the tax issue because this is an issue that hurt your stock a lot, and I think there could be some good news on that front. Uh, we never know what the politicians might do, but there, there are some signs that perhaps 
the tax won't be nearly as onerous, I think, as as, the, as was proposed. Could you just comment on that briefly before we let you go? Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, I did get interviewed in Australia. I was there a couple of weeks ago by both the radio and uh, the print press. Uh, I was really amazed. Every day on the television, uh, there was something on the resource tax. Every day in the newspaper, there was at least three pages dedicated to discussion on the resource tax. Uh, what's very interesting is uh, a lot of the polls, you know, for the general populace are against this tax. They see that it's going to introduce sovereign risk into Australia. The currency has been devalued because of it. Mm. Uh, the ruling party has lost about 15% on their popularity. Um, it, it's showing that uh, uh, it isn't going to create wealth. It's showing that you know a lot, a lot of the large companies have said that they're going to reconsider investment decisions. Um, right now, Australia really didn't get hit by the recession. They've got about 5% unemployment rate, which is essentially full employment. All of a sudden, you, you know, some of these companies who decide not to invest billions of dollars, um, it, it would uh, make the economy a lot worse there in Australia. And then, you know, you get that whole spinoff into, you know, other service industries and you name it. So I think everybody recognizes, you know, it can't go ahead in its present form. Uh, what the final form will be remains to be seen, but I think everybody agrees that uh, it has to be different than it originally proposed. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for that. I, I really do find your company to be very interesting. It's certainly, as I said, one that I've recommended to my subscribers. I like the upside potential, the idea that it's not a grassroots exploration thing, the fact that you've got 5 million ounces, the fact that you're producing now, the fact that you are undervalued relative to your peers, looking at other companies that might be selling at two, three times what you're selling at. As you produce uh, successfully and profitably, I'm sure the market will find its fair value for you. Thanks, Mike, for coming on the show again, and uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime in the not-too-distant future to keep up with what you're go- what's going on with your company. Thanks again, and folks, we'll be right back with Roger Conrad after the break. Don't go away. Roger Conrad to talk income-producing stocks. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. I am your host, Jay Taylor. 
I believe Columbus Silver Corp, traded Toronto symbol CSC, and in the United States symbol CSLVF, offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property, hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk-reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, last week we had Roger Conrad with us, and there simply wasn't enough time to cover all the topics that I wanted to cover. Uh, Thankfully, Roger has agreed to come back on the show again, so welcome, Roger. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's great to have you on again. I just should mention to folks that might not have heard you last week that you are the editor of Con- uh, Roger Conrad's Utility Forecaster. It's a letter that I subscribe to. Uh, and you know what, Roger, as I get a little older, not that far from retirement age, I'm starting to think in terms of what can give me some income. And you can't do it with treasuries these days, that's for sure. You don't get anything for treasuries. Uh, and I should also mention that a Canadian Royalty uh, Trust is another area that Roger uh, covers. Um, Roger, the name of your newsletter, the the one that covers the Canadian Royalty Trust, the Canadian Edge, is that it? Yes. Yes, CanadianEdge.com, um, and we cover about 150 different uh, investments in Canada, some of which are income trusts, some of which have converted from uh, income trust into really what you have to call a new breed of, of companies that uh, pay uh, very high uh, and, and regular dividends out of cash flow, some of them, um, most of them monthly. Um, at, at much higher rates than what you find uh, typically in the U.S. Okay, so, uh, I mean, the Canadian Royalty Trust then are being phased out. Uh, why has that happened? Well, this was about four years, about four years ago, Halloween night 2006. Um, the government decided, and uh, there are all kinds of theories about why, um, that um, much, much of the corporate uh, community of, of Canada was going to go income trust. In other words, Convert from corporations, and um, instead of paying corporate taxes, instead um, you know pay those dividends in, uh, to investors who would then pay the taxes. And um, I think they just you know it was a very su- it had been a very successful model. They just saw a whole lot of, of these transactions happening, and maybe there was a little bit of panic there uh, that there wouldn't be any more uh, corporate income tax uh, pool to draw from, even though. Uh-huh. You know they had been drawing from a, a very a substantial income, uh, individual income tax pool. So this happened again four years ago. They pretty much announced the rules, and I think ever since what you've seen is uh, 
um, you know, the government there trying to uh, make things easy on companies to pay large dividends and and to make the transition to uh, converting to corporations very easy. But they've, you know, that's basically what they've decided is they want to have, uh, you know, one tax system and and one type of company which would be corporations and um, that's basically the companies have had four years to uh, adapt to that and what we've seen is uh, a number of them um, really be able to sustain those high cash flow high dividend paying models and continue to pay you know very big dividends to uh, to the shareholders even though now they're organized as uh, as corporations rather than as as income trusts well, I thought that the income trust essentially was designed to sort of eliminate uh, the double taxation problem, whereas corporations uh, pay high ta- high rates of tax and then individuals get clobbered as well. Wasn't that the the idea of the uh, of those those kinds of organizations, those kinds of uh, companies? Well, that that was the original uh, foundation, and they and they used and they were uh, pri- primarily to invest in areas like energy initially. Um, they they later expanded to a wide range of business, very similar to. Uh, the master limited partnerships in the U.S. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say the one big difference is that in Canada, whereas uh, you know corporate rates have, have uh, gone up in the United States, um, they've they're actually on, on schedule to bring those down into mid-teens over the next couple of years. So corporate tax rates have really uh, been coming down in, in a very big way. And of course, like in the U.S., there's lots of ways for companies to uh, generate income that uh, it, it reduces their um, over their overall tax effective tax rate, so um, much, there, there's a much less onerous uh, corporate tax regime in Canada than than in the United States. Oh, so and and has that been reduced then in order to sort of accommodate this change? Do you think? Well, I think partly, but you know, this is also a conservative government uh, mm-hmm. and a conservative party government, and this has been their uh, uh, idea all along that by reducing corporate taxes. Um, you you promote more investment and and then more employment and um, you know it's it's been a successful strategy in in other industries. I mean, obviously the big story for Canada has been the resource um, story and uh, um, the fact that now rather than just the U.S. being a major uh, consumer of their resources, now they have a tremendous market in Asia and that continues to grow rapidly. So that's that's helped them um, maintain a pretty robust uh, export. Uh, business of, of a lot of different everything from you know oil and gas to uranium and now increasingly oil sands even in a um, a very difficult uh, economic environment so um, yeah they're you know they're um, they they've been very much uh, wanting to do this type of thing initially they of course they said they were going to leave the income trust uh, market alone but more and more we've seen of these uh, uh, conversions uh, to uh, from from trust to corporations uh, involving no dividend cuts so in other words. These companies got a got a big benefit as an income trust by not paying corporate taxes, but even though they're going to start paying some, um, they've you know maintained their dividends, and even some of the ones that have cut, uh, they've been very fairly marginal cuts. So um, you know, very interesting uh, the way this thing is, is, has played out, and it's actually been uh, considerably more pro investor than I think anybody really expected uh, three or four years ago. Wow, could you give us an idea, maybe an idea, um, a name or two that you really like in this space, uh, the Canadian, um, you know, these, these companies that are converting? Uh, what sort of yields do, can we expect and, and, you know, how safe are these companies in terms of their earnings and, and dividends? Well, you know, the way I kind of break them down is in terms of whether they're exposed, uh, how they're exposed to energy prices. And uh, those that are producing energy obviously are very exposed to energy prices. They're going to what they can pay out in a dividend, what they can 
uh, you know, invest to grow is going to depend on what their, um, what, you know, what the, what the prices of, of it, price of oil and gas is. Um, you know, one I think it, it, pretty much every investor can feel comfortable owning would be uh, Interplus Resources Fund. Um, ERF is the symbol. It trades New York, so a lot of people are concerned about trading in Toronto or buying uh, over-the-counter uh, companies that are tra- that are traded on other other markets. Even though uh, you know a lot of major companies are now uh, not listing, choosing not to list on major U.S. exchanges, but sure. you know for for the filing and so forth. But Interplus has uh, decided it's going to maintain that that listing. It's converting to a corporation. They're going to maintain their distribution. They pay about nine uh, percent right now, and um, uh, a lot of exciting uh, um, uh, oil and gas uh, properties uh, around uh, North America, from the Bakken region in, in, in oil um, to uh, the Marcellus uh, Shale natural gas, making some investments there. A lot, a very large pool of mature um, reserves that they're being, that they're using to uh, expand production with. So, um, you know, it's a it's, it's a nice nice situation. I think very uh, very very low risk. You know, if someone wants to uh, wants to look at something, you know, and, and there really there are all sorts of different uh, uh, types of investments out there to, that you can look at. But you know, a lot of people are interested in the oil sands. Uh, they might want to take a look at um, Pimbina Pipeline uh, Income Trust, and they're converting to a corporation as well. They'll be converting um, on October the first. They actually set the date uh, today. Um, mm-hmm. They're yielding right now about nine percent, and that's mm-hmm. a dividend they in, they intend to maintain again. Um, after uh, converting to a corporation, and you know the, the primary appeal here is, here is there the uh, primary uh, oil transport network for the Syncrude uh, partnership, which is a major partnership of um, uh, in the oil sands region. Uh, tremendously expect to uh, double their; they're already the largest. They expect to roughly double their uh, output over the next several years. And uh, you know, Pimbina makes its cash from uh, basically. Uh, uh, building pipes and owning pipes that uh, this this uh, production is is shipped through. So uh, right. they make their money regardless of where oil prices are. Basically, just on the growth of this um, enterprise, which um, I think is just tremendous. And I think you know the, the BP oil spill. Um, if there is a benefit uh, to to, uh, to to anyone, it's um, to onshore drilling and particularly to uh, oil sands, which is uh, you know again they're. Um, it's been talked about uh, for environmental uh, uh, reasons and so forth, but certainly much less um, potential for, uh, uh, for 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 trouble than than drilling uh, you know a mile under the the surface of of the uh, of the Gulf. So I, sure. I think they're very much advantaged in that. And again, this is a pretty low risk way of of taking advantage and getting a pretty massive yield out of it. Right, you're not you're not really uh, prone to um, to energy price risk. Then I guess it's just a matter of as long as the uh, as long as the oil is being shipped through the pipelines, you're you're going to make money. Do you see the possibility of this? Uh, you, you're talking about growth. Then they're in the oil sands area. I think you said Pembina. absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know. And again, I think uh, um, you see a lot of projects out there. It's it's obviously a business that um, is not incredibly stable, and so you have to be pretty. Wealthy to uh, to go into it. It's expensive. It's also that therefore it depends on um, you know relatively high oil prices. But you know taking a, you're taking production off uh, in in the Gulf um, even temporarily or, or or you know you have to figure that it's going to be a lot more expensive to produce uh, from the deepwater Gulf going forward. Yeah, um, that that's a tremendous advantage to uh, to this, which is um, increasingly the dominant form of, of energy production in Canada. They're Expect to be something like 88 percent of oil production in Canada to come from 
uh, from the tar sands by um, um, you know over the next uh, five years or so. Right. And what is uh, Pembina? Where does it trade on the New York Exchange, or where is it? Well, this Canada? is one that yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it trades over the counter in the U.S. and uh-huh. the, the symbol would be um, P M B I F. Uh, Paul, Mary, uh, uh, Boy, Irene, Frank. Um, and this is the way a lot, of, again, a lot of companies, a lot of major companies trade that way. But if you, if you want to buy it in Toronto, right now it's just PIF, and then they have a dash U uh, yep. back of their symbol connoting units. But again, after uh, October 1st, it will be just simply PIF. Well, I don't have any problem buying a P. MBIF because that's the way I buy many of my Canadian stocks, and I, you know, if they trade on, uh, if they're trading actively, you can you can get good prices on the on these stocks trading down here as well. So um, I mean, I I just for whatever it's worth, I tell our listeners and I tell my subscribers, I don't have a problem with it. Although in some of the thinly traded stocks that we cover in our newsletter and we talk about on the show, sometimes there is some ill liquidity that you wouldn't find in the on the main market, I suppose. But that's really interesting. I, I think uh, your website, again, is CanadianEdge.com. For, that's for the, uh, for the utility stocks. I mean, I'm sorry, for the Canadian, um, Canadian companies. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, I think, you know, people, it used to be people would say, well, these yields are so big, why should I own, um, you know, anything else? Now maybe they say, well, this, you know, maybe it's so risky that I'd, I don't want to go into Canada because of the volatility and so forth. But, you know, really, I think the secret to a, a, a successful income portfolio is to own a lot of different things. And, um, you know, some, you don't have to have everything minimizing, you know, minimize the risk in every investment. In fact, that's not really how you balance a portfolio. You, you, you balance a portfolio by, uh, you know, owning a lot of things, being diversified among mm-hmm. a, a lot of high-quality situations. And, you know, granted, if the Canadian dollar drops, these Canadian investments are going to drop in value as well. But um, you know, when uh, they, you have other things in there, and and uh, Canadian dollar is actually a very bullish case, I think, going forward with the commodity story um, and and with the fiscal uh, prudent story, because they're in certainly much better fiscal shape than we are, and they oh, yeah. raised interest rates actually um, last, uh, even though they're they're still below their inflation target, but they raised. Uh, Interest rates uh, coming out of this, you know, quantitative easing. They're the first major, uh, you know, G7 country to uh, to do so. I think that really speaks to a very solid um, situation that that uh, you know the U.S. hopefully will have uh, in a couple of years. But certainly Canada is uh, first out of the box in terms of uh, of economic strength in North America. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it, and of course, Canada is a company that uh, that I know a lot about because it's uh, where most of the resource companies are that I cover in my newsletter. It's just that my focus is more on exploration and not as much on production. But of course, Canada has some good gold mining companies and uh, companies that are coming along and paying. They generally don't pay too too high a dividends, at least at this stage of the cycle. But uh, so we're looking for things like you have that that really do pay some meaningful dividends that can help people. You know, pay the rent and and uh, pay their insurance and so forth in in retirement. But uh, you, so I'd like to go to the utility forecaster now a little bit. I'd like to get back to that topic. And, and where can people learn about the utility forecaster? What what's the website for that for that letter? Well, I have there's a couple of a uh, couple of choices. Uh, the you know the actual website is utilityforecaster.com, just as it's uh, just as it sounds there. Um, the um, uh, but the uh, also the um, we have a, uh, a weekly, and uh, if someone just wants to get an idea of, you know, what my thinking is, and uh, you know, and, and briefly before uh, signing up, uh, it's called uh, uh, UtilityForecasterWeekly.com, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's a you know, there's a, there's a, a part of the service that's for subscribers that 
talks about portfolio companies, and there's another part that's uh, you know complimentary for readers, and they can definitely get a you know get an idea of again where I'm where I stand on various things, and and if they uh, you know buy into the reasoning and 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 are interested in the in the subject matter, uh, there's certainly other ways to to go. Okay, so uh, talking about the utility forecaster letter, uh, last week we talked a little bit about you know the different kinds of utilities that you cover. You have them broken down. Uh, we did mention briefly, for the sake of those that didn't hear the sh- last week's show, diversified energy utilities. Um, and I think a favorite that you had there uh, might have been Duke Power. Yeah, there I, I like them for a number of reasons. Uh, one, um, you know, with these regulated companies, regulation. I think we might have talked about this a little bit last week. Um, regulation is probably the most important thing that you're going to look at with these companies, uh, at least as important as uh, as what the current uh, payout ratio, what they're paying out in terms of earnings uh, in their dividend. Um, you know, and and uh, one thing I like about Duke is just they're an exceptionally positioned company uh, with a base in the Carolinas, but also in Indiana, uh, Kentucky, and Ohio, and these are all pretty strong states for companies to operate in. Obviously, mm-hmm. they can still make mistakes. They can still uh, you know, lose money if they invest poorly or they don't run their plants well. But um, these are states that work with the companies, and they can, they're able to do long-term planning. And that's essential for any business that has uh, the, the degree of capital expenditures utilities sure. have. You know, looking forward, we have tremendous needs in this country in terms of uh, just simpler reliability of power. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they used to talk in terms of nines. 99.9999, uh, or how many nines of, of reliability can a company offer? Uh, you know, and particularly for a high-tech company, where even a you know a millisecond of of, of power outage um, can be disastrous. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this this is a company this company that's able to make these investments because they again they do have this um, uh, positive regulatory environment. Uh, you know, and also of course we have gener- their generation needs and, and environmental needs and all these things again. It all comes back to, uh, you know, when a company makes an investment, it can either add to earnings um, or it can uh, severely uh, run them out of business. Um, and it all really comes down to how cooperative their relationship is with the uh, the people that are that are setting their rates. Uh, do, what sort of yield does Duke provide? It's pretty close to 6%. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they've been uh, pretty positive, as, as, as many of the others, about, um, um, you know, continuing to increase that over, over a period of time. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, we're we're due for one, uh, you know, as as they announce another um, another dividend, which uh, should be happening, you know, in the, in the near future. Um, but uh, you know, I think we've got some. Uh, um, uh, we can look forward to more of the same there with 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 dividend growth and uh, again a very solid solid utility franchise backing that up. We uh, noted last week that Duke is, I think, you said the third largest uh, nuclear. Um, uh, use uh, that is the uh, third largest producer of energy from nuclear uh, from nuclear sources um, is um, and and you're you really f- probably follow the nuclear uh, power industry quite closely then yeah I think you know this is an an industry that um, I don't see uh, you know a tremendous amount of growth in in the United States I think there's just a lot of negative po- politics um, uh, surrounding it and uh, you know companies. Again, they, to, to make a commitment to build a nuclear plant, it's really about a 10-year yeah. commitment. You've got to have these long-term planning uh, ability. And, you know, you, you look in, in some of the states in the southeast, uh, some of the states in the Midwest, places where Duke operates, uh, where a southern company operates, for example, 
I mean, these are areas, or, or Dominion Resources in Virginia, I mean, these are areas where they can do that kind of planning. A lot of states, they are just not, not going to be able to do that. And, um, uh, but, I, but, the, but the companies that are, you know, operate the plants and are able to, uh, say, replace those, particularly, you know, 20 years down the road, when a lot of these plants start to uh, start to show their age and uh, and and begin to be retired, um, I think it's going to be a tremendous advantage because nuclear power is um, very low cost once the plant is built, and there's very little variable uh, uh, variability in terms of uh, what operating costs. And you know what we've seen is with with uh, a lot of these companies um, or, or a small handful of companies rather uh, acquiring these other plants. Uh, Scale really does matter, and if yeah. you, you know, a company that owns, uh, you know, a whole bunch, uh, you know, say ten reactors can operate much more efficiently than one that owns, uh, say, one or two. So, um, uh, you know, that's uh, I, I think that that's really what what uh, you know what what to look for here. And that handful of companies, I am I am pretty bullish on. Could you just give us those uh, some names of those, perhaps besides Duke? Uh, who are a couple of the others? That... Well, the largest one would be Exelon EXC. And this is actually, a, I think, a pretty good time to buy that one because it's, um, you know, people. A lot of people are focused. Well, people are very focused right now, in general, on the economy and and what's going to happen and uh, um, are we uh, heading for a double dip recession and so forth. And um, you know, power prices have have come down. We've had uh, two years drop, or 2008 and 2009, we had actual drop in in U.S. electricity use. Uh, which is a pretty rare event. You have to, you know, go back in a number of decades to, to see that. But um, what what we've seen with prices of companies like uh, like Exelon um, and Entergy, which is another large that number two largest, is that because they sell so much power on wholesale markets, um, and a lot of it the prices have been locked in. But you know, when those prices come off, when those hedges come off, when those contracts end, say in 2012, um, if prices stay where they are now. Our prices stay where they are now. It's going to mean uh, earnings are going to come down. So that's the way these these stocks are trading. You know, as though that that's a, a done deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it means a huge, a, a, you know, very low bar of expectations to uh, to exceed. And uh, I think we're going to see some really nice upside. I think that's going to be a big surprise uh, for people. Just as um, uh, you know, the demand for smartphones, which you know continued throughout 2008, 2009. Everybody was, you know, so many it, 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 people that covered that industry were expecting a big drop in in usage and and so forth, and it never happened. It just continued to accelerate. In fact, well, okay, we only have about three minutes left, okay. Roger, and I, I uh, several more things that I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned smartphones. Uh, switching gears a bit here, utility tech stocks. You have some names, and what sort of yields uh, can you get out of those those kinds of companies? Well, you know, a couple of easy ones here, Verizon and AT&T. I mean, people love to hate them, uh, but, uh, you know, they yield almost 7%, and they really dominate this, uh, the cell phone market in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that those are excellent uh, excellent plays. You see some very strong growth. Verizon is, has basically uh, eliminated much of its traditional phone business, so I think you're going to see some stronger numbers coming out uh, of that company going forward. Um, and, uh, again, I think pretty pretty low-risk, well-covered uh Dividends and stocks that uh, everybody everybody loves to hate, but really dominate that business. Uh, maybe they love to hate them because we hate to pay those high bills all the time. Absolutely, and you know, so this we, is one way of getting some of that back, perhaps. We yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you know, people want their what want what they sell, and obviously, uh, um, it's it's a recession-proof business, which I think was a huge surprise. I don't I don't see. Uh, 
but I don't see that reflected in the, in the stocks of these things at this point. Okay, what about foreign utilities? Can you give us some names there and some a favorite or two of yours, and what sort of yields do they pay? Well, I really like Telefonica. I mean, this is a company that generates tons of cash flow based in Spain, but you know, a huge part of its business is in Latin America where it's growing very, very rapidly. Um, and it's just very, a very well-managed uh, company. They've uh, basically budgeted for 20% dividend increases the next couple of years. So, um, you know, it's already yielding pretty, uh, you know, in the, in the upper single digits uh, based on that higher, higher dividend, well in the, in the double digits. It's been hit by the, 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 the drop in the euro, um, so, you know, which, of course, they're valued in euros. Uh, I, I think it's, but again, I think um, very well placed, well put, put together company. Another one would be Singapore Telecom um, and uh, SGAPY, that's their, their ADR. Uh, but they're, they're very big in India as well as uh, Indonesia and, and throughout uh, Southeast Asia. And, and again, huge, uh, huge wireless uh, business just like uh, Telefonica has and, and generating uh, you know, lots and lots of cash flow, which, is, uh, which allows them to continue to adopt new technologies and, and add new spectrum and uh, pay dividends and further business. Okay, Roger, we only have about 30 seconds here. You mentioned last week that you saw, I think, the utility companies as sort of the canary in the coal mine. Your sense is that things are getting better, basically, that these companies have a close contact with their clients, with their corporate clients, uh, the manufacturing companies, I guess, the big users of, of uh, energy. And your sense is that things are actually looking pretty good right now in the U.S. economy. Is that right? Well, I don't know, pretty, but I think definitely improving. And, you know, you see that in the stabilization of industrial sales, the increase in industrial sales for some of these companies. And I think that's going to be a really key indicator going forward. But, you know, the first quarter looked pretty, did, look, uh, did look quite promising, maybe slower than a lot of people want to see, but uh, things moving in the right direction. Well, thank you, Roger. It's good to have some optimism on this show. We tend to have a lot of gloom and doom. Uh, guest, I, I suppose it's a reflection of your host, of the host here, the guy you're talking to. But uh, good to have you on. Uh, even I like to see a, a glimmer of sunshine now and then, and a hope for uh, some income in my own portfolio as I uh, as I approach that um, retirement age. Thanks again, Roger, for coming on our show, and I hope we can have you back again sometime. You really have a lot of interesting things to tell us. Thanks very much. Thanks. It'll be my pleasure. Folks, don't go away. We're going to have Arch Crawford and Roger Wiegand joining us at the end of the uh, at, at, on the other side of the break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex has indicated gold resources based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X-Gold.com. 
Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank the following corporate sponsors for making this show financially viable. Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Canico Resources. Thanks to all of you companies for making this show possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Well, I'm really delighted to have Arch Crawford with me. Uh, uh, he's the author or the editor of Crawford Perspectives, and I also have Roger Wiegan, my, uh, my partner, with me as well. Um, those of you who aren't familiar with Archie, he used to be a frequent guest on CNBC when Ron and Sana was uh, a host uh, on, that, uh, on that network, and I always had the sense that Ron and Sana was, was one of the more objective uh, reputable people that was really trying to understand the world as it really existed uh, rather than the way the sponsors might want it to exist at times. And uh, so I always, uh, Arch Crawford was one of those people, one of those few people whose face would appear on the screen in my office, and I would say, whoop, okay, take the mute off. I want to listen to what Arch has to say. Uh, so, Arch, welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you for having me. Just uh, delighted to have you. You are a controversial person on this show. I must say that I have uh, more emails coming back to me after you're on the show, both negative and positive, than anybody else. I think that's a fair statement in saying that. You know, everybody loves Ron Paul pretty much. Not everybody, but most of the people that lived in that listen to this show. Uh, but you know, when you say things that rub the fur on the pussycat the wrong way, sometimes it, you know, people don't like that. So. But yet, at the same time, you know, what we want to do on this show is to find the truth. We don't necessarily want, we may not like the truth, we may not like where it's taking us, but I, my philosophy is it's better to know the truth, better to know what the problems are that lie in your future than not to, so that you can prepare, uh, compare, prepare as best as possible for those unfortunate events. Well, Arch, in your last letter, you talked a little bit about the Bradley model, and I'd like to, you, and you said, and I quote, uh, the Bradley model that is pointing the Dow into a major configuration July 30th to August 1st, while the Mars-Uranium crash cycle shows the inverse pattern more likely. Uh, can you tell our listeners what you were talking about, what you were suggesting in that statement? Well, there's this huge alignment that's taking place. The tightest portion of it will be around July 30th, August 1st. And... Um, it is the biggest, tightest, most powerful, most transformative alignment uh, that we've seen in the sky in all of written history, which, of course, includes World War One, World War II, the Great Depression, uh, the Black Plague, and the Fall of Rome. So uh, it's something that we're watching very carefully. In all of recorded history? In all of recorded history. And it's a tighter alignment. Than, in, than any of those uh, during any of those other times. Yes, it's now, the most most powerful negative one. The one in the, at the top in 1987 was a very uh, positive one, uh, which put in the top. You know, it said, I said it can't get any better than this, and of course that means it's a top. Yeah. Well, so this one, uh, I don't know if it can get much uh, more powerfully negative than uh, this one that's coming up. So um, what we're saying is that if you're watching things happen politically, economically, psychologically, that they'll come to a head around this time, and uh, and then we'll see what happens. Well, uh, when I find that with these huge alignments, uh, 
that the crash is more likely to take place as they're dissipating after the event than necessarily before the event. But we've already had, uh, we said that we thought the market would crash somewhere sometime between May the 1st and November the 1st. And we already had the flash crash, which was uh, fulfilled a minimum count for being called a crash. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you, just playing the devil's advocate then, Arch, uh, is it possible that things have gotten as bad as they're going to get and that uh, we've seen that crash already? Could that be the best possible case, that, we've, that we're bottoming out, that we're not going to see the old the March lows in the stock market um, tested even? No, I would say it gets... Uh, then we come up to the Mayan calendar date, which is the end of a 25,600-year cycle, and uh, I think that'll put us back to baseline, whatever that is. What do you mean by base? Oh, you don't. Baseline means back to the start. Yes. Back to the start of recorded history. Yes. My goodness, these are. Um, yeah, no wonder people don't. No wonder I get. No wonder I get the messages I get. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is unusual. I mean, uh, yeah. I've had unusual patterns in the sky, and they've almost all had uh, significant world events c- connected with them, not always in the effect of the market, but at least n- notable things occurring. Mm-hmm. Like one was the explosion of uh, the, uh, the uh, Chernobyl, we had a we had a lunar eclipse conjunct Pluto, and um, what happened was that Chernobyl exploded that week, and we have another one of those coming up June the twenty sixth. We have not had one since, so I don't know if that will be a nuclear accident or Israel attacking nuclear facilities of Iran or a terrorist act or something from North Korea or uh, Pakistan or what. But are you you quite you're co- quite confident there's going to be some nuclear related problem? Um, yes. <clears throat> Interesting. Well, it's it's a you, you know we have too small a sample for to yeah. make sure that that something major will happen. Uh, right. But the um, through the course of the discovery of Pluto from then to now, there have been many many events that have uh, had to do with. Uh, nuclear, and some of those have also had to do with debt, so it could be a debt bomb, which we are definitely moving towards. A debt bomb. In other words, well, we, we have a debt, we have a debt, an inflated debt situation that is that is trying to deflate, and it cannot, because, so far it hasn't been able to, because you keep pumping, trying to pump more air into the bubble, right? Well, I think that there's so much toxic assets still on the books that uh, have not been written off yet, that the uh, deflationary potential is very great. They've been pumping money in, but the money supply has been contracting anyway, so there's a, a psychological shift as well where people don't want to go in and spend money right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of a baseline, I mean, this is uh, it reminds me of Ian Gordon's thesis, the Kondratiev cycle that he looks at, and he suggested, you know, there's 60 or 70 years where humankind expands the uh, the debt, uh, no matter whether you're on a gold standard or not, to the levels where it can no longer be sustained, and that it, it simply implodes and falls in on itself. 
But uh, going back to Robert uh, McHugh, Dr. McHugh has talked about, and this is in line with Robert Prechter as well, uh, McHugh is talking about a cataclysmic nation-changing uh, event, talking of the stock market, in which we'd see stock prices somewhere between zero and 1,000 on the Dow, uh, that, that would take us back um, uh, to correct the bull market that started in 1718, I think is what he says. That sounds like something of the magnitude that you might be hinting at here. Or even you might even be looking at something bigger than that. Uh, much bigger than that. Um, I'm just concerned that they pay off my puts and shorts when uh, when this is over. <laughs> well, that's a good point, Arch. Just... And, and I know, uh, Roger, you're on the line here. Uh, Roger Wiegand, uh has been a proponent of an ETF that I, that I own as well called, uh, well, FAZ is the symbol. It's a sh- triple down short on the financials. Uh, you know, I mean, that thing just moves around, whips around like crazy. Uh, the question then is, uh, for you, Arch and Roger, maybe you'd like to pipe in on this as well. Uh, will these uh, derivative instruments be any good when this whole thing implodes? Either one of you guys care to comment on that? Well, I'd say I, I think generally on the first Roger, leg, they uh, should be okay. I would say that uh, I could conceive of a position, if it got crazy enough, that it might be impossible to collect. Uh, some years ago, Jay, we did make a report indicating that if one of the exchanges did fail, it would probably be the options exchange, mm-hmm. simply because of all the derivative action within the exchange being so dependent upon all these other markets. Mm-hmm. If the other markets go upside down, I can just imagine the kind of chaos they would have at the Chicago Board Options Exchange. Mm-hmm. So that is, that would, that's a good question. Yeah, One Arch and you, I didn't I catch your response because both of you were talking at the same time. My apologies for not asking one of one and then the other to comment. But Arch, what what was your response to that? Uh, that um, basically um, the first leg down should be all right, uh, but mm-hmm. I think we had the first leg down already, and this might be the second leg down. And uh, you know, from 2000 2002 being the first, and uh, this being the second. Uh, that it might uh, be difficult by the time we get to the bottom of it. But uh, as far as I know, I I thought the options have uh, pools of money that have uh, greater insurance than some of the other larger uh, businesses, uh, Uh exchanges. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think we're living in in, in very unsure times, and, you know, how long have we had these derivatives to look at? Arch, you talk about small samples. We... You know, derivative products are being born every day with some sort of um, uh, genius mathematician, or, or you know, and we've seen how badly uh, we've fared with these with a lot of these new products. And you know, Warren Buffett has warned about it, uh, about um, you know, about about the uh, the potential problems with of derivatives. And um, you know, I mean, who understands these things even? I mean, they're just. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, the idea that you can get, uh, uh, you know, if your financial stocks go down uh, by 10%, you can get a 30% uh, gain on them. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's some, it's, the whole thing is just artificial and doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole thing, it seems to me, the philosophy that we're living on under in the U.S. has so much to do with let's get, let's get rich without working for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Arch, uh, a- a- April 26th uh, was a key date. Uh, as I recall, would you care to comment on that? Anything now? April twenty-sixth is behind us. Anything taken place that uh, seems to have materialized that might that uh, might suggest that was a valid uh, date that you picked? 
that it was a valid date. It was our, it's already a valid date. Well, it was a date of some significance that you talked about. Well, we had um, the next day was the first 200-point down day since, um, I think, March or mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. So that the, the day after it, it was, it was still active. Mm-hmm. But it was so far that within a day or two of the top. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> I think we have a lot further to go on the downside, so I think it will be tremendously significant. But the Saturn-Uranus oppositions tend to be significant anyway, and we've had, that was the fourth one out of a series of five, and the fifth one takes place around that July 30th, August 1st date. So that's similar to that in terms of it being a Saturn opposition to Uranus. What are your charts telling you about gold, Arch? Well, the charts, just looking at the uh, price action chart yeah. uh, on the gold, it still appears to be a uh, um, an, uh, accelerating pattern. Mm-hmm. So I, I like it very much as long as it stay, doesn't start breaking trend lines and moving averages. What are the planets telling you? Uh, that there will be higher highs this summer. Higher highs this summer. Right now, um, any... you, know, you know, you've seen a couple of articles lately have mentioned the fact that in the uh, um, inflation-adjusted, uh, it'd have to be like 2300 on the gold to get back to the 1980 nominal highs, I mean, to the inflation-adjusted. Yeah. Um, Roger, do you have any questions for Arch? Well, I... I... I don't have a question, but I would have to say that I agree with him because I'm seeing the same things that McHugh is is seeing and the same things that Arch is seeing. Uh, I'm not certain. I'd have to go back and check, but I think that we were issuing one alert after another in that late April, early May period, and all of these charts from our standpoint are all pointing in the direction of a major problem. I don't think there's any question about it. And the other thing that we're reporting on this week in, you know, energy is a dominant thing in the world, and we see a series of things happening whereby we think Israel might attack Iran, and that would be consistent on the timetable with what Arch is saying. Yeah. Um, the reason we're saying that is Iran is taunting the U.N. and Israel now with a Gaza relief armada, and the Times Online reported the Saudis have given the green light for the attack, they said that if Israel wants their planes to fly over Saudi property and refuel there, they'll help them, even though Turkey has prohibited this. The USA is not saying anything, but here's another good point. The U.S. Navy has got a big fleet that's going to be right off Iran for spring-summer maneuvers in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of these things alone seems inconsequential, but when you put them all in a package and line them up like a bunch of ducks, uh, this thing is looking pretty ominous. Uh, well, it would seem to fit with Archie's uh, time horizon here, then, right, Arch? I would, yes, absolutely. Uh huh. Um, of course, Arch. In, uh, go ahead, Arch. Uh, just that um, we had mentioned in the uh, May letter that there were, and in the April letter that there were quite a few days in May that suggested um, violence and that the violence was growing, and we hadn't had all of these things kick off yet. Now we're still we're getting, you know, uh, the biggest uh, uh, flow of refugees 
that uh, since World War II. Hmm. Uh, where, Arch, you mean in various countries? In various ones, but there was, I think, the one um, in, in Afghanistan is probably the greater of several. Really? I read that, like, yesterday, I think, uh-huh. Wall Street Journal. We, uh, you talked in your newsletter, your latest one, your June issue, Arch, about the oil spill, and you said the oil spill is not the only problem with the oil stocks. Would you care to elaborate? Well, this is uh, purely technical in that uh, looking at a chart of the XOI oil index, mm-hmm. uh, you see that uh, the high on it was around 1660, yep. and the low of it was around 740, yep. and that the, the rally back up, uh, the maximum on it was like, I think, eleven forty. Uh, yes, eleven forty. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a very poor showing, considering that the stock market recovered like eighty percent of the loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not not eighty percent of the loss. I, I remember some of the indicators got up to sixty one point eight, approximately. Yeah. You know, the golden mean ratio mm-hmm. recovery, but uh, but they got up to. 60 to 80, some of the, the um, indexes, I think, uh, were up 80% from the low, put it that yeah. way. And uh, this, the XOI is uh, just in terms of uh, relative strength, uh, had a very poor showing, and that was long before we had any uh, British Petroleum leak going Right. On. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at your chart here now, and I see we're, you know, currently at around 940 or something like that. So it's, it really uh, hasn't done well. And so I guess what you're suggesting here is the possibility that, you know, oil, for goodness sakes, is, you know, sort of like copper, a very, very important commodity in terms of global uh, growth. And um, what I don't know, uh, oil prices have held up pretty well, though. I mean, we're looking at a, at a uh, $76.82 as I look at the screen here today. Um, any Roger, I know you follow the oil sector pretty carefully. Any thoughts? Yes, the I think that the uh, the BP spill will be contained probably uh, probably no sooner than middle of August because they're going to drill a couple of relief wells and that'll that'll help to stop the flow. But the interesting thing that's going to happen here is the aftermath. Uh, the U.S. government now is really going after BP with uh, everything they've got. And, and uh, one one theory I got this week was that uh, the U.S. government would seize all the BP assets in the United States, which means they're going to control the North Slope, which means they're going to control a major chunk of the oil industry and gas industry in the United States. Uh, September oil futures right now, which I follow, are up two full points today, two percentage points. Uh, the oil price for September last on the close today was $78.66. That's the futures. So we think oil is going to go a lot higher. Natural gas has come from a low all the way up above five. And we think that uh, this this oil business in general is really upside down with this bill. And uh, with something possibly happening in the Middle East, uh, we forecast the prices are going to go much higher. Well, I think, Arch, uh, in a sense, uh, I guess what I'd like to ask both of you, and Arch, you can go first, do you uh, share Roger's view for an upside on oil, and if so, would it be uh, dependent on global economic growth, or would it be on some cataclysmic event in the Middle East or something like that? 
Uh, yes, I, I would feel that the I'm, I'm negative on the stocks because of the oil index acting so poorly relative strength. And what I said in the letter actually was that we would short the XOI and we would buy a call on oil just in case we have a cataclysmic event. I see. To hedge Jay, I would totally agree with that trade. He's right on. Okay, so Roger, uh, you, you, it seemed to me you might have been making the case for stronger oil demand well, it's uh, like comparing for, for global growth, but is that the gold, case or not? It's, it's like comparing uh, the gold stocks and gold to metal. In this case, Arch is comparing the stocks with the oil price as a future. And, you know, the oil price is going to go up, but the stocks look, look, don't look very good at all. Yeah, but what I'm asking you then is why is the oil price going to go up? Is it going to go up because of economic growth, demand, speculation, uh, inflation, or, or, you know, or is it going to go up because of a cataclysmic event or all of those? I think cataclysmic event, and I also think inflation. All right. Well, that's a good question then. On the inflation-deflation side of things, Arch, uh, which side do you come down on, generally speaking? Do you see <laughs> – let's say that we have a massive – uh, deflation. Let's say we have a massive decline in the equity markets. Are we going to have a lot of inflation at the same time? Um, it's it's a matter of which will come first and um, in, with the most. Right now, we still, as I mentioned before, have all these uh, toxic assets on the in at the banks of uh, that uh, have not been written down yet. Yeah. So when they when they print money, the money supply goes up, and that's Inflation, whether it gets to prices or not, it's mm-hmm. still inflation of the money supply. Right. And we had a tremendous inflation of the money supply, but the money supply uh, is still dropping, even with all of that printed money or just, you know, push-button money that it is these days. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been able to expand. Uh, so that is highly deflationary on the short term, I believe. Yeah. Well, I, I'm with you on that and one. And at some personally. point, when all these governments continue printing uh, faster and faster to try to stop uh, the the decline in um, value there, um, then that then we may get a hyperinflation. And I, I believe that before all of this is over, worldwide, uh, most of the fiat currencies, if not all, uh, will be um, eviscerated. You know, just totally. It's a very interesting uh, concept, Arch. I, I'm with you on that because it's very much like the Great Depression. They they pump money into the system. Banks wouldn't lend it because they had a hard time finding credit worthy, credit worthy borrowers. On the other side, we had some very interesting comments uh, from Chen Lin um, earlier in the show today, and Chen pointed out how there is wage inflation taking place in China. Very interesting concept there. The uh, people committing suicide over there because there's no labor unions, there's no protection, and the people are just work so darn hard and they they're hopeless and they're killing themselves and in larger you know people it's really become a very big issue and so one of the largest the largest employer in China has doubled the rates the wage rates now Honda and other people are coming out demanding high high the workers are demanding and 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 getting high um, you know high higher wages and I'm thinking to myself, you know, for the longest time, we've enjoyed low prices and cheap goods here in part because Chinese labor has, uh, you know, has worked for next to nothing. And that may be coming to an end. So I'm wondering if we might not see some global wage inflation. That's just a thought I put out there. We only have about uh, 30 seconds left. But, uh, uh, Arch, you care to comment on that? Um, I don't really know how that's going to work out. I... Yeah, Roger, any thoughts? 
Well, I think that, uh, you know, Honda's going to have to raise prices by union, but they don't have a union. By mm-hmm. worker demand, 70%. And I think you're going to have wage inflation over there, but not in the United States. My theory on the inflation-deflation thing is this. We're in deflation now. At some point down the road, we're going to go to inflation with all the money printing. There's a potential for hyperinflation, and then after that, we go back into deflation again. All right. The overall well, fundamental uh, aspect of the whole deal is deflationary. Well, I think what we do know, one thing for certain that I, I feel I know for certain, is that we have a very unstable monetary uh, system right now that's coming under increased pressure, and there's going to be some kind of changes somehow. We can only hope and pray that they're for the better and that uh, our liberties will not be stripped away from us, because that, I think, is the most important issue that, that we are all facing in America. We've had it so good for so long with so many freedoms, and it seems to me that they're being taken away slowly but surely. We're like the frogs being cooked in the pot very slowly, unfortunately. Well, that's all the time we have for this segment. Uh, we're going to be right back with, uh, actually, I'm going to have Mark Weaver with me. He's a partner of mine uh, on uh, Jay's watch list. And, Roger, I'd like you to stick around if you don't mind, too, and we might have you throw in a few more comments at the end of the show for the wrap-up. That's uh, all the time we have for now. Uh, we'll be right back after the break. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm delighted to have two of my partners, uh, uh, Roger Wiegand, who was with us uh, in the last segment, has, has stayed on with us, and I have Mark Weaver, who's my partner on Jay's uh, watch list. Uh, welcome, Mark. Well, thank you very much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you, Roger, for sticking around here. Uh, what we're going to do, folks, is Mark has uh, three or four companies he's going to talk about briefly on Jay's watch list that he thinks are worth noting. And Roger, uh, I would, and Roger's going to provide a very quick and dirty, brief uh, sort of um, view of of these of the charts, the chart patterns, and where a good buying uh, buying opportunity might be, or where you know might want to look to get in and get out of these stocks. So let's start off with the first one. Mark Trade Winds is one that's on Jay's watch list. Could you just talk briefly about Trade Winds? Sure. Trade Winds, uh, symbol TWD on the on the TSX exchange, and TWDIF on on the pinks is trading around fourteen and a half, fifteen cents. Fully diluted, about one hundred and seventy-one million shares. What's really attractive about them is, is a property they've identified as a Block A property, which is right next door to the Detour Gold property. And you, I, I know you've had a look at this, and you're familiar with the story on it. Yes, I am. In fact, we, uh, we talked to the company last week on this show. Yeah, one of the things that, that's come up is the valuation related to this company. On, on the TradeWinds website, you can see a valuation put out by a company called First Canadian Securities, putting a $1.10 valuation on this which would suggest a huge home run. We're looking at this a little bit more carefully and, and think the valuation's a little high. And as you know, there are several business risks attached to this company. But overall, when, when you look at a company that's got mineralization right next door to a 10 million ounce property, you, you, you've got to sit up and have a look at this and say to yourself whether there's the potential of some shared geology and therefore a decent resource. Yeah. And that's what TradeWinds is claiming. Well, Mark, um, so we're looking at fourteen, so uh, fourteen and a half cents to a dollar ten valuation. But you know, uh, how many shares are out with this company? Oh, an awful lot, Jay. And it, it, this is a high dilution. It's about one hundred and seventy-one million shares. Okay, but even so, so we're looking at a market cap of what about um, fifteen million less than that, something like that. Uh, yep, probably closer so, to twenty. Yeah, twenty million. Okay. All right, but you know, um, all right, Roger, you have a look at the charts, and what I've are your got thoughts? The chart there? open. It closed at fifteen cents today on a volume of one hundred and two thousand, up seven point one four percent today. Uh, the chart has a nice double bottom, which is bullish in May and in June. The price popped then up in June. It came back a little, but it's now firmly supported at fifteen cents. It looks good. Okay, so good, to, good to buy in this range, Roger. I would say so. 
Okay, Mark, what about uh, Yale Resources? Well, Yale has been an exciting company for us as well because to be able to mitigate its business risks is taking on that project generator model, which basically allows it to joint venture out a number of properties that it has. Uh, being able to get work done on the properties, still retain control over those properties, and then uh, be able to see them through in, in, into marketability. Now, they're trading about seven, uh, excuse me, seven and a half cents on 66 million shares outstanding. So your CapEx is you know, close to four and a half million on this. Mil, it's minuscule. Yes, it is. Uh, Roger, how does the chart look for these guys? We're looking at, uh, at Yale now, is that it? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the Yale chart right now. I do see a seven and a half cent close. They had a huge volume, though, Jay. It's six hundred and seventy-two thousand today. Yeah, it's a fifteen percent plus fifteen percent. It was channeled uh, in the price between six and seven cents. It had a pop in May. It came back, and what has happened today? It popped again. It jumped above seven, so it looks like it wants to move up. Okay, so it's a good buy at this level looks from good. a technical perspective, purely. Yes, I would agree. Okay, uh, Klondex, uh, Mark. Yeah, Klondex is. And the symbol for Klondex is KDX on the, on the Toronto Exchange. You'll also find it on the pinks at, at KLNDF. It's about 35 million shares fully diluted, uh, trading around $1.42, $1.40 in that range. Uh, what we like about this is it's sitting on a significant amount of cash, uh, about $3.5 million in, in cash. It's, its flagship property is fully owned, uh, 2.1 million ounces indicated or inferred on this. Lots of drilling, lots of work on it, and they're very close to getting uh, the, uh, the permits in place to continue in toward production. Where is the property, Mark? Nevada. Nevada. Oh, so it's okay. Uh, politically, uh, yes. Politically safe. Roger, how does the chart look here? Well, it's been channeled since last October, trading between a dollar and a quarter and a dollar and a half Canadian. Uh, the dollar and a half is resistance. A dollar forty-three today. It's been as high as over two dollars. Uh, it's, it hasn't really popped like the others. It had very low volume right now, but it is up slightly, about 1% today. So it looks like it might be channeled for a while, but it's not selling either. Mark, how many shares out on this company, more or less? Do you have a sense of that? About $35 million fully diluted. Okay, so we look at a market cap, then we're looking at maybe $50 million or yep. something like that? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that looks pretty good. We have, I guess we have two minutes. Uh, Mark, very quickly, Paramount, gold and sil silver and gold, gold and silver, I guess it is. Yeah, Paramount gold and silver symbol is, is PZG on, on, the, on the Toronto Exchange, trading around $1.40, uh, approximately 110 million shares outstanding on this. What we really like about this company is that it's, it's a rarity in this sector. It's, it's flagship property, San Miguel, is, has uh, about 2.5 million ounces in it. Uh, the company is is pushing toward um, a $5 million ounce resource on that property. The other thing that we, that we find a strength for them is in the area of corporate finance and land acquisition. They're doing a lot of, of M&A uh, research at this point, looking to be able to acquire junior resources um, of, sig of significant value with companies that are cash-strapped. So this is, this is a big one for us to watch. Well, I like it. It's actually, uh, it's actually in my uh, in my newsletter. As is Yale's Yale Resources. All two, both of those have been recommendations of mine. Roger, quick comment on the chart for Paramount Gold. Dollar forty-five close. It's it's very volatile. It uh, it's been trading between a dollar forty and a, and two dollars Canadian. One forty is a solid base, and when you get a price down at that point, it doesn't look like it's going to drop off and sell. I would say it's a buy. 
It's up 3% today in a volume of 25000 Okay, that's all the time we've got, folks. I want to remind you that you can get a trial subscription, or not a trial, but, yeah, well, a lower-cost introductory subscription to Chen's letter, my letter, and Roger Wiegand's letters if uh, you go to miningstocks.com or call my assistant, uh, uh, Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Next week, our special guest will be William Gross. He's the author of a book titled National Suicide. Uh, Gross will talk to us about the enormous amount of indebtedness the United States has gotten us into and how it's bankrupted our future. Uh, you won't want to miss, uh, well, maybe you will, but you shouldn't miss William Gross and what he has to say about our future and the problems we have. That's all the time we have for this week's show. In closing, I want to thank again our staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Casey Trump, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer. I want to thank all those folks for making this show uh, logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view.